Welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. My name is Alison McGovern. I'm the Labour Member of Parliament for Rural South and the Chair of Progress. And this is the podcast with the unpopular opinion that progressive centre-left politics has a lot to offer the modern world. And I might add today, it has a huge amount to offer the Labour Party, just in case anybody is unsure. I'm here with our Deputy Director, Stephanie Lloyd. Hello. And uh, Katie, who runs our events at Progress. Hello. Katie Curtis. Um, I mean, you do a lot more than that. Mainly tell me what to do. Uh, I tell everybody what to do. Exactly, exactly. So um, we three are sat here on the uh, day, uh, this will go out on Tuesday, but it's it's still Monday today. And we're here on the day that seven Labour members of Parliament have uh, resigned the Labour whip and have announced that they are going to sit as a group of independents, Steph, this is a difficult day. It is a really difficult day. And I had, I just felt so sad when I was sat there watching the statement earlier. Like, I've kind of, ever since I got involved in politics, I can never see myself being anything other than Labour. And it is a really difficult time, not only to see colleagues feel that they're no longer they don't want to be part of the Labour family anymore, but also to see some of the behaviour online of people who are celebrating that they've left, calling them traitors and things like that. Yeah. It just, it's a sad day for our party, I think, in in all aspects of this. Yeah, Jess Phillips is doing a good job of, on the Twitter, of just calling for everybody to be reasonable. Well, I saw, I saw her tweet this morning where she was like, oh, I'm going to, so I'm going to try and do a bit of nuance today, which means by the end of the day, everyone will hate me because yeah. I'd have upset someone. So I think that it feels like, it kind of feels like that a bit today where it's, if you know, trying to walk, it's a difficult line to try and balance, but yeah, have huge, I have, still have lots of respects for lots of those people, but also don't agree with the conclusion of which they've made. So exactly. And I should say at this point that we've decided on this podcast today that we're not going to discuss any of the individuals mm-hmm. who've taken this decision, Katie, because it wouldn't be right to do it, to do that, would it? No, and as Stefford says, we have disagreements with some of the reasons or the why, the whys that they've done it or uh, the fact they've done it. But I think it's right that we will just talk about the thing as a collective uh, rather than any beef we have with with any of the individuals over it. Because it's about the structural issues, isn't it? It's it it shouldn't be about. I mean, it's wider than those seven, isn't it? And that's why we're having this conversation, and and that's why loads of people be having conversations today. Yeah, exactly. And I think if I've learned one thing over the past couple of years in politics is that we all have to mind our conduct, and uh, and try and talk about the issues and not denigrate people as individuals. I mean, it's why we've got here, so that's why we've got to do that. Yeah, we've we've got to be better, I think with some notable exceptions, Boris Johnson. Anyway, that said, Steph, I think one of the issues that you can't fail to take very, very seriously is the question of anti-Semitism and how the Labour Party has dealt with some quite serious conduct issues in relation to party members. And the fact that we just don't seem to be able to to deal with this no we don't and I think you know for me I think it is a a truly sad day and this for me is the kind of only exception of any of this is that it for me is a is a is a kind of very shameful day that a 
Jewish woman feels like she is no longer welcome in the Labour Party. Yeah. And I think anybody who is not doing some very, very serious reflection on all sides as to why that is the case has totally missed the point of the situation and where we are. And for, and it, it, for me, I mean, that's the thing for me that just totally, that totally breaks my heart and makes me hang my head in shame at the Labour Party. Yeah. Katie? Yeah, I think that's, I think I can echo everything that Steph said, like one of the reasons that I suspect we're all here is because we see ourselves as anti-racist campaigners. And then today we lose someone from our ranks because they have had to deal with racism within our own house. And I think that's the thing that I think hurts. And I use the word hurt like this is something that means a lot to me, but it does mean a lot to me. This is a part of my identity. And today things like seeing somebody, a young, talented Jewish woman get up and say, I am no longer welcome in this thing that I care so much about as really as as heartbreak it's heartbreaking that's all I can say it is and I was just gonna say and it's the thing where there's just such there has just been such a seismic failure from the party to deal with this properly and we've seen you know we've seen warm words and John McDonald will go on television and go oh of course we care of course we do but but there's no there is there is still no evidence that as a machinery of the party that they are taking this seriously enough. And I think when you think of the levels of abuse of which certain members of, and particularly the PLP, I think more than anything, but but also Jewish activists across the country who are loud and speak out against anti-Semitism face, there, there just is not enough being done by the party. And there are a very clear set of things that they could do. I mean, they still refuse to have training by the Jewish labor movement. Even the NEC still won't have it. They won't have training on what is anti-Semitism by the Jewish labor movement. There are just clear cut examples of things that they could do as a party to try and mend that relationship. And just currently there is just a total willingness to actually take any action on some of this stuff. And I think that when we discuss, you know, the terms like institutionally anti-Semitic or institutionally racist, it does make me think of the response. Um, you know, when that first, when that term was first used, it was used about the Metropolitan Police Force mm-hmm. in London yeah. in response to the Stephen Lawrence, you know, atrocity of the way that that the investigation of his murder was dealt with. And you think about the level of change that the Met had to bring about in response to the McPherson report I think we have something to acknowledge Mm. and to respond to that has to be of that scale um, in my view and certainly the response that we've seen from some quarters is just to be anti-semitic about it and just to uh, say that it's some kind of smear it's some sort of smear it's some sort of uh underhand thing by israel so i think that's the the worrying thing is that not only is the party not stopping or or calling a halt to to what's happening there are still people that call themselves labor party members who are being anti-semitic and i think the most worrying thing about what the party hasn't done is not done it proactively they seem to only take action when by their shown up in the press mm-hmm. or by mps that are hafting mps labor mps are hafting to compile dossiers of the stuff that they're being targeted with before the party or do anything and that's just not good enough yeah so just 
to move on to a slightly different but connected issue, Steph, I think today probably, you know, as much as any other day, people are thinking about the way in which political parties in the UK are broad churches, Mm -hmm. are, you know, big tents that encompass people from different backgrounds, different who have different roots to that party, but who come together because they feel that by taking on other people's struggles and other people's issues, they will more likely have a stronger voice. And to be honest, they'll be more likely to get what they actually want because, you know, the the UK system, like it or loathe it, tends to need a kind of large collection of people in parliament to become the government. Yeah. So how important do you think it is that we continue to speak up for that broad church Labour Party? I think it's fundamental. And I think, you know, in the current political system that we have now, we have to be a broad church in order to be able to speak for the majority of the country. And that's the point of political parties. That's what the founding of the Labour Party is, that clause one of ours is that we're a parliamentary party. We want to be in power. We want to be in government. We have seen and we, you know, we can list off the rooms of things that we've done that are fantastic and have fundamentally changed this country when we've been in government. So the only way that you can do that is if you are not a tiny subsection of the country. You have to be a broad church in order to be able to represent what are broad views that sit across the country. But you do that also in a way that is powerful, that shows leadership, that takes the country with you as well. And we saw, you know, in the last Labour government, just how much we took the country with us on the issues of equality, for example, in terms of that wasn't instinctively where everybody was, but it was where we the country was at the end, to the point where you had a conservative government attempting to introduce equal marriage. Like that was a big deal that we managed to it change was. the country. So but you know, civil partnerships were deeply controversial. Hugely. We... The amount of, you know, people know that the other things that I do in the rest of my very, very little spare time is LGBT Labour. And one of the things that we've had over the, we've been doing a big kind of celebration of Labour's achievements on LGBT rights over, over this month. And people were going, well, why didn't you just do it sooner? Why didn't you do it soon? Why didn't you do all of these things as soon as you got in? It's like, this stuff took t- like the amount of political capital that it took us. Anyway, I'm digressing. But, the point, the point, I guess the point for me is, you know, I, I'm not a member of LGBT Labour. I'm, you, know, you can be I'm a supporter a strong, though. I'm a, I'm a supportive, strong ally. <laughs> you are. Um, however, not being a homosexual, that doesn't mean that, I know it's Katie's spectrum, been, Katie. Katie's being sad in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't mean that I would think, well, that cause is not directly affecting me. Therefore, mm. you know, what I would question LGBT Labour's uh, role in the party. F- far from it. And I think people under people think we're a broad church because, like, you know, it's it's kind of, like, nice to just accept people's opinions, you know, whatever they are, and you should get along with people. But it's much less fluffy than that, in my view. It's because, like, that's how solidarity really works. Mm. Like, unless you listen to people who are different from you and decide to stick by them, even though that they're different from you, like... We will never get anywhere. We'll never change anything. And this is where, and this, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. And this for me is where, Alison, when you talk about behaviours and how that works, it comes into it. And I think this is how, this is where the kind of current situation we find ourselves in has broken down because 
there have always been people that I have totally disagreed with in lots of ways, like in, in, in bits and pieces or ways in analysis and they come to it or the conclusions of which they come to within the Labour Party. Now, we used to have an argument about whether, you know, I say we, I was too young for this. I get to be smug and young for once. I was too young to have the arguments about whether I was a Blairite or a Brownite. Like we've always had rows and we've always oh, had tribes. They were great rows. I mean, there's only one side to be on on that though, isn't there, Alison? Right, so. right, exactly. <laughs> I feel like I'm in the minority on this podcast, <laughs> for sure. But the, but you know, we have always had fundam- like we've always had disagreements within the party. We've always had different groupings or factions or ways that people have worked because that's also how you organise. Like the, the idea of coming together as a grouping of people and trying to organise for what you believe in isn't a bad thing. The problem problem is now is it's just it is totally broken down in terms of the behaviors that people use and it's just it's just vile and really alienating the the thing that makes labor unique in the political landscape is is that we are a coalition so Mm. we have never been just one street a party that just believes in one thing one economic system or what it is a coalition whether it's cooperate cooperators whether it's fabians whether it's trade unionists this this is a coalition and and that means that you're always going to have a broad stream of opinion and a broad stream of what brings people to us and stay with us and that's not just within the party membership that's there's a coalition of voters for that as well and we have to be very aware that all the time that we make the party narrower we're making our electoral coalition narrower as well and if we want to govern this country if we want to get this terrible Tory government out, that we've got to continue to be that broad church. And I think that's what's really, really important, not just because it is like you say, people think it's fluffy or it's nice or because it's the right thing to do. I couldn't agree more. One of the um, ways in which I have experienced the broad church over the past couple of years is that there are people who who feel as pro-European and as strongly pro-European as I do, but who come from quite a different sort of faction or a different background who I've come to work with over the past couple of years um you know the 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 kind of progressive politics that we're all a part of has effectively joined forces with um folks who might see themselves as much more on the kind of like very much the left side of things in the Labour Party because organizations like Another Europe is possible Mm. Labour campaign for free movement they have come together with us on issues of pro-European um, matters because they feel the same as we do about the importance of internationalism. So it's it's really that those behaviours where you take people at face value, where you act in good faith, that enable you to do that. You know, you never know where alliances might be found, in my view. So to come to that, um, Steph... One question people might be asking themselves this morning is, we now have this group of uh, seven independents and there are others like Frank Field who've Mm -hmm. been sitting as an independent already. Does this change matters on Brexit as we come to what will be a set of very important votes? I don't think it will. Um, And mostly because it, it doesn't change the parliamentary arithmetic in any way. Those MPs have always... I mean, they've been solidly consistent in terms of their viewpoint on Brexit and the tactics of which they use. So for me, I don't, I don't think so. I think they're not, they, you know, were quite happy to break the Labour whip on, um, on, on Brexit if they felt it was in the interest of their constituents and, and what they believed in. And they've always been quite transparent on that. So I don't think it changes the parliamentary arithmetic. Obviously, Alison, you sit within that parliamentary arithmetic. So you yeah, probably know I, far better than I do, I d- but I, I don't 
think so. I mean, when I think about the crucial votes that we have coming up on the week commencing the 25th Mm. of Feb, where, you know, we will see quite possibly another meaningful vote effectively, you know, as, as you said, Steph, firstly, all of those people were kind of um, voting a particular way already. And it's hard to see that this changes any of that. The deal we need to do is across the the broad sweep of the Labour Party with Tory rebels. Um, and that's what Theresa May wants to stop. And um, I, I don't see this group changing things at all. There's only ever but, going to be a coalition across Parliament that, that stops the government anyway, in that sense, right? So... Exactly. Just... But let's just take a short break there and come back to Brexit after this. And welcome back to the Progressive Britain podcast with me, Alison McGovern, and Stephanie Lloyd and Katie Curtis. Um, on the day, the week when seven Labour MPs have decided to sit as independents. But we were just discussing, Steph, before the break, whether this changes matters on Brexit because we have got a crucial week coming up uh, the week after this. We do have a crucial week. And we also had, um, I was listening to Peter Carl this morning talking about uh, Peter Carl, who's the MP for uh, Hove and Portslade. Uh, spent many, many, many an hour knocking on doors for Peter Carl. Um, but obviously he, uh, with Phil Wilson, uh, he's also a wonderful member MP of our- MP Sedgefield. A wonderful member of our strategy board. Um, they have come up with a plan- uh, within which could be a solution to the kind of Brexit situation. So w- w- tell us more about it. So um, what we now call the kind of Kyle Wilson plan, um, one North, one South, one, <laughs> constitu- one Remain constituency, one Leave constituency, um, is essentially the idea that um, members of parliament might vote for Theresa May's deal, which they don't want to do, mm. contingent on Theresa May putting her deal to the public, which she doesn't want to do. So the first thing is that there's a little bit of misery on on both sides because everyone's doing something that they don't want to do. But actually, that's not, I don't think that's the sort of better part of it because what actually is really interesting about the Kyle Wilson proposals is that they use the mechanism that was... Um, created for the Good Friday Agreement because people often forget that the Good Friday Agreement wasn't just agreed, it was actually ratified by referendum Mm -hmm. of the people of uh, the island of Ireland. And um, what the Good Friday Agreement did, and and it's worth, I I reread it again uh, last week and it's really worth going back to the original text, not least because the Good Friday Agreement is written beautifully, so it's like nice to read. But also what they did was they put the... um, clauses that would form the act of parliament enacting the measures of the good friday agreement in the agreement itself and the referendum was not advisory like the brexit referendum it was legislative so what you're saying to the public is your vote in this referendum is not advice to parliament on how to proceed but rather it is the mechanism by which this act of parliament becomes into force so, so it wouldn't have to it wouldn't have to go back to parliament would it that no, was the thing so, so if it passed so that would be it so you could say here is here are the clauses of the act of parliament and depending on how you vote they will be enacted and the clerks um in the house of commons basically 
have come up with uh, this precedent of the Good Friday Agreement so that we could do this because that answers what I think is essentially the argument against the government's approach, which is the complete uncertainty that was created by the last referendum. What so would you, this look like on a ballot paper? Oh God, here she goes. All the, all the big questions. So what, yeah. what? Well, I think the ballot paper could be could be quite simple, but it would be the documentation, effectively the kind of like manifesto that went along with the referendum that would be interesting. And, you know, we've got a long way to go on this. There's practical considerations and that would be one of them. But essentially you'd be saying either we carry on as we are and we ratify the prime minister's approach or we alter the law in this way so that status quo and not EU membership is maintained. But I think it's really worth considering simply because it's a completely different way of putting the issue to the public than we had before. Hmm. I think it's very clear what's happening at the moment isn't working. The impasse that we've come to means that some different way of thinking uh, needs to happen. And it will provide a real level of clarity. There isn't, and it was one of the things, it's the argument that I always get when I'm kind of arguing for people's vote is people going, okay, what do we have? Best out of three, best out of four, best out of five. The never-ending The never-ending yeah. kind of argument. And actually this this that kills that in that sense because it's like once this is passed this isn't back to parliament this isn't more backwards and forwards it's this is the definitive definitive answer and people would know what they're voting for clear as day yeah crystal clear exactly and i think that's that's an interesting suggestion we just have to see where we get with it for mm. support on that um in the week coming up but so what else is going to go back to parliament then so we as i say we may well have another meaningful vote that's we're in the government's hands there. Um, they did pull it last time. Mm. So I always feel deeply uncertain about talking about when meaningful votes will happen. Um, we also have the proposal that Parliament passes a motion to enable it to legislate in one day to prevent no deal. And honestly, whatever people think about the right way forward, whether it is rewriting the prime minister's negotiating mandate towards something like single market customs union EEA, which is, you know, one possibility we could do that. Or whether you think the Kyle Wilson idea works or some other approach, we have to stop no deal. Hmm. We have to, because it would be absolutely devastating. So that set of votes will really be about how we stop no deal, given that Parliament has already voted to say that it doesn't want no deal. This is now about how we do it. And then we can't just vote to be against something. We also will have to vote for what we're for. And so we will get into those issues quite quickly now. So I think it really matters that people, even despite all of this polit political turbulence, keep sharing their views with their member of Parliament and keep, you know, keep keep participating in politics even if you feel other people's behaviors make it difficult for you could not agree more and and on that note i'm really conscious today that people might be listening to this wondering about their own future in the labor party um so katie just tell us why even despite the ups and the downs and you know the difficulties of the past months why your labour? Um, well, to start with, to say that today I feel like a helium balloon three weeks after someone's birthday. I don't think I've felt quite this deflated uh, for a while. But then I think back that a Labour government 
was what took my family out of poverty. A Labour government, which is why that my relationships are recognised uh, in law. And it was a Labour government that allowed me to go to university and to fulfil what I felt like was my potential. And so when I think on that, I have to think that not all is lost and that we stay, we fight, we win a Labour government and we carry on changing people's lives like we know that every Labour government since 1945 has done. And that's why I'm not going anywhere. Um, And I hope that people agree with me and they stay also. Steph? It's a tricky one, isn't it? But um, for me, it is that that true thing that I cannot see a route to a government that I would want to see, a centre-left Labour government. Well, I can't see a route to any centre-left government without it being through the Labour Party. And the history and the tradition and the values of the Labour Party and it's, you know, over a hundred years existence. For me, I'm not ready to just give up on that for uh, a couple of years of things at times of which I profoundly disagreed with others of which I just disagree with in a direction of policy. Um, But for me, it is about that collective and it's also about having the responsibility of making sure the Labour Party returns somewhere that is a broad church, that is welcoming to everybody, that is a truly anti-racist party. And I'm not I'm not ready to give up on that tradition of what the Labour Party has been and can be. Um, and so that's why for me, and I know kind of, you know, why is progress? We're certainly not going to go anywhere. We're under no illusions of how difficult some of this can be, particularly when you look at the behaviours of others as we've spoken about before, but yeah, I'm just not, I'm not at a place yet where I'm ready to kind of throw in the towel and accept that politics is just broken and it can't be fixed. I'm the painfully eternal optimist in some senses of uh, the idea that it can be so much better than it currently is. And those things you identify that need fixing can't be done if progress members and supporters leave the Labour Party. They're only going to be done if everybody stays. Mm and takes on this fight. Agreed. I, Ali, why are you staying? Well, I was just going to say I couldn't put it better than either of you two. I mean... <laughs> other than the fact we're now asked you to do so. <laughs> yeah. Um, other, than that, other than the fact that I always do what Katie tells me. I mean, for me, it's structural that there's no other party that is able to upend power in our country in the way that the Labour Party does. And I, I completely agree with you about time and our traditions and our history and our culture stuff I guess for me like I'm professionally against nostalgia so it's not about doing it because of the past no but it's about what the past can tell us about what we want and the reason why at the beginning of the Labour Party the founders of the party didn't say I tell you what like why don't we all vote liberal you know why don't we ask the liberals to do what we want them to do in terms of um, rights for working people. And then we'll all vote liberal. The reason why they established the Labour Party rather than doing that was because it's not just about the policies that you have. It's about whether you've got an institution that can take anyone from any background in our country, no matter how disadvantaged, no matter how locked out, and say, you can take power, you can take charge. 
and I mean like Katie I you know the Labour Party has been very important for my family and the things that you know my family have benefited from to be quite honest people from backgrounds like ours Mm. don't get to be politicians and don't get to be involved in politics and taking decisions without the institution of the Labour Party so that is why I'm staying and that's why I want everyone else to do so too so we'll leave it there what a week thanks everyone for listening if you feel like you want to share your thoughts or your views or how you're feeling or anything else with us at progress then you are very very welcome to do so please just tweet us or send us an email or use the myriad of social media uh channels that we now have thanks to technological progress um to communicate and let us know what you're feeling um and yeah thank you you've been listening to the progressive britain podcast the music was when in the west by blue dot sessions licensed under creative commons and many thanks to the brilliant caroline crampton who produced this podcast